This episode of Burritos, Breaks, and Flies is brought to you by Oxner Insurance. Never really seems like a bad time to go hit the river or lake, but it's never the right time to experience an incident or loss with our automobile, home, or even life. Take a minute to stop and make sure that you, your assets, and your family are protected with the policy provided by Oxner Insurance. Give Jeremy a call today at 775-657-6050 and learn about the shields of protection that he can put around your assets. I'm going to give you your dream shot. I still can't believe I'm doing this. I'm going to send you two up against the best. You two clowns are going to Top Gun. That's Commander Jordan talking to Goose and Maverick in the classic movie Top Gun. This is what Ben and I hear in our heads every time we hit the water with today's guest, Taylor, the prodigy Brune. We feel like mere grasshoppers in this fly fishing master's presence. And we're stoked to have him join us again in this podcast covering high water techniques and some Pyramid Lake fly fishing basics. And yes, as much as we wanted to hear from Jimmy Kimmel on this podcast, we think that having the prodigy in his stead will leave you with a bit more knowledge on how to be successful on our local waters. Sit back and take in some lessons from the prodigy himself, Taylor Brune. Okay, welcome to another episode of Burritos, Breaks, and Flies. Today, today we have a special episode, and I'm sorry to say, I'm sorry to say that Jimmy Kimmel couldn't make it. He was originally scheduled to be with us. I'm sorry to disappoint anybody, but we did one better. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm proud to announce on today's podcast, we have the one the only prodigy joining us. Prodigy, welcome. Yeah, so uh, just Taylor's fine, for sure. Um, we don't got to go with that, but uh, whatever. So <laughs> let's. Uh, he's humble. He's, he's humble. Ben, ben, would you say he's humble? I would say he's humble. And I would say this. Nico, couldn't have been more right. We did far beyond better. You know, we have a lot of legends on, but there's only one we call the prodigy. So this is part two, and we are very glad to have you back. So (laughs) Taylor, the prodigy broom. What have you been up to since the last podcast? Tell us about the prodigy life and some of your recent adventures. Well, shoot. Um, how long ago was I on here? I can't even remember at this point. No, it was, it was almost, um, it was over a year ago. Yeah, it was actually, it was almost, yeah, it was last March. 
Yeah, maybe right. it was like it was like it was on the tail end of February, March. It was a quick little warm spell because remember we did it at the Nature Conservancy, the uh, the outdoor mm-hmm. uh, arena at the McCarran Ranch, and it, it just happened to be like as Ben always wanted to do the podcasts outside. That was our outside trial, and it just happened to be a great day in, in yeah. the worst season. So no, it definitely so, yeah. was. Yeah. So but yeah, but, yeah. Shoot, I ended up uh, I ended up having a son and stuff. So sadly, I haven't been on the water as much, but it's worth it still. You know, I'm gonna get to hang out with him. So hopefully, congratulations! A, yeah. It's very exciting. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, we're we're super pumped for you on that. And yeah. I think a number and the, on the backside of that, so are all the fish in every local river and still water because they can rest easy knowing that you're not frequenting their home breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, I, you know, I can't, I can't overemphasize it. What, what, what Taylor has accomplished on the water, <laughs> we laugh. It's mind blowing. We call him the prodigy for a reason because the guy would just go out there with kind of a nonchalant, easygoing attitude and just be like, eh, there might be something here. Then you look over and he's just levitating fish out of the water. Taylor, what did you get? Ah, got a couple. And like five minutes has gone by. You're like, what? <laughs> what? And uh, and Ben's witnessed it. Ben Ben had a pretty good spell of of being able to play satellite to Taylor. And uh, hey, what's that like, Ben? I mean, when you're just in the shadow of a giant, what's that like? You know, I basically spend the whole time on one knee with my fingertips to the to the side of the river in awe. Okay. I don't even I don't even bring my fishing gear to fly fish with Taylor the Prodigy Broom. Yeah, why would you? That's a waste why of time. Would I? Why would you humiliate yourself like that? <laughs> like trying to put yourself in the same league. Like, hey, look, I can do that too. No, you can't. You can't. <laughs> You know, you know, it's it is fun. I was just thinking of you. I had a chance to uh, slip out, and when I was uh, there last weekend, I went to a spot. Um, it was downtown, and I was looking upriver, and I remember Nico telling me a story, and he said, "In the middle of winter, this is before I had met you. I was with." I just call him the prodigy. I mean, you got to meet this guy. He stood right on those rocks there, and he pulled out the biggest brown trout I've ever seen out of here. He does it all the time. All the time. So, all the time. Anyways. Hey, so, <laughs> sorry, Taylor. It's just, it's just yeah, how you it is. You guys are on a roll tonight. You yeah, guys are definitely are. on a roll. Yeah, we're excited. We're excited. Um, so, I, one of the things we wanted to talk about in, in, today's podcast was your expertise and your experience in high water especially on the Truckee river high water tends to be one of those times where you see an absence of anglers uh, on the river and you know from all of our experience we know that it can be a good time but you know visually looking at a river it's not very inviting you know you got you got usually extremely off color turbid water high flows you know four or five six seven thousand cfs you know, or more, we've seen higher here in the past couple of years. Um, 
So people don't know where to look for those opportunities, where to go, how to fish it. Um, but Taylor has a special knack for it. And I, if, if I remember correctly, I think that's one of your favorite times, if not maybe one of your singular favorite times to get on the river. Am I right? Oh, yeah. No, I love, love high water. It's just you got all that space to yourself. You don't have people everywhere. Nobody's playing fetch with their dog in the water, you know. It's just all right. pretty much you, you know. All right. Every once in a while, you know, somebody falls in the river upstream and you see all the fire trucks coming down to pull them out. But other than that, you don't really see too many people in there. Right. All right. So what do you, what, 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 <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, yeah. If you do, it's not a good day. Yeah. So, so, so what's, what, what is it that you favor about the high water? I mean, what, what, what's your, what's your approach? What do you look for? What's, you know, what's your whole thing about? Maybe you can kind of give our audience an idea of, of how you approach it. Maybe like a tactic or, a, you know, how do you go about it? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to high water, you know, it's all about scouting. Scouting is way more important when it comes to high water and, and figuring out those areas in the river that get those real good slowdowns and they break from that main current when you're hitting, you know, anywhere from three to five, sometimes even, I think one year we even hit seven. Yeah. You know, 7,000 CFS, you know, so scouting is really important. Um, and it's not so much walking the river scouting, but it's actually driving, you know, like you got to cover, long miles on the river just to find you know I've, I've been to spots even downtown reno where you walk the side and three miles later you're like well i had two holes that were worth fishing you know right so i mean it's a, it's a lot of walking at first but when, once you find those spots and you remember those uh those water uh the cfs you know what it was at when you had those conditions you know uh-huh. like that rock was you know, two feet more submerged. So now that brown's holding up there. Yeah. You know, so you got like your 3000 CFS spots, your 5000 CFS spots, you know, it's, it's just a lot of remembering, documenting, and then hitting those places again, when you're looking at those flows, and they're matching up, you know, so it's definitely a long term thing. Sometimes, you know, for most of us, we can't get on the water every single day. So you know, you, you do a weekend, you do a lot of scouting, but, you know, five years down the road, you remember those spots where you hit those fish. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you're really looking for um, pretty much the opposite of summer. You know, you're looking for that slow water, but, you know, it's cranking 7,000 CFS. Everyone's like, there's no such thing as slow water, but there is. Right. There's, all, there's always a slow spot, you know. I- uh I run into a challenge where I'll see a slow spot out there. You know, I'll remember a big rock, but the water is moving so fast. It's hard to just find your footing or that spot. Now that used to be pretty close now seems pretty far away. Now that the river's much wider, how do you navigate uh, to get to your spots? Um, The spots change, you know, like you might have that rock in the middle, but it's not worth, you know, slipping if you had to fight, you know, 5,000 CF. You know, it all depends on the current. Yeah, there's no you know, winning so, that. Yeah. So, you know, you got your favorite rock that, you know, at 600 CFS in the summertime that's out in the middle now, and it's 5,000, you know. All you can think is, okay, well, 
that guy might still be there, but maybe he pulled off on the edge of the bank here, you know, and you got to find that new little spot, whether it be a sunken picnic table or a fallen tree, you know what I mean, from the fresh yeah. flood. And I got I got another question for you. So are you using, are you still using like, um, like your three weight, like 10 foot to go out and oh no high water that, no, that's no, no, a, no 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 i'm yeah. i'm trying hard not to laugh i mean what so what's your <laughs> so what what's your gear preference there because obviously you can't go out with you know like let's just say a a common setup you know or a a lightweight euro setup effectively so what what's your what's your favorite uh gear there what's your approach yeah so i mean you know when it comes down to it your regular six weight, I'm not saying you won't catch fish, you know, you'll get them, but the water is just so unpredictable. And now that current's blasting. So if you hook a fish and you hook a big one, yeah, he's going straight into that current and he's got all the power in the world now. And you, right. you know, you got sunken trees, picnic tables, sleeping bums alongside the river going down, you know? So, right. I mean, you want to try to get that fish, to you you want to be the boss of that fish because he if he gets into that main current there's not too much that can stop him so um you right know, three weight um you can but not my preference uh a six weight nine foot at least i think but yeah. i i roll a 11 foot six weight yeah uh, switch rod just because i got that backbone in it and I can yeah. really crank those fish toward me, you know, because the water with the water being cold, they got a lot of pent up power too, you know. And you can run straight. You can run heavier lines too. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, there's no the visual acuity of the fish. Things are running by them so fast that they're just trying to snatch things up. So, I mean, I know, I know, from my understand that you you um, you tend to favor, you know, you can go way up in line size, you know, like. If you want to consider it a tippet, I'd say you're probably breaking off leader material. You're, I've known you've gone up to, what, 8, 10 pounds. Is that right? You know, oh, yeah. Big, big bug sizes. I mean, you're, I've seen some of the bugs you tied, and you're like, what are you going for? Um, maybe explain why, why the bigger line size and maybe the way bigger bugs that you use. Yeah, so the bigger line size for sure. So, you, you know, you can crank with that 11-foot rod and bring them out of that main current if they start heading that way. Um I like to use like a two or one X typically. That's what I usually roll with in the high water. Um, but it all depends on where I'm finding those fish. If they're hugging that main current, I still want that fly to be able to sink. So I either make up for that sink rate of the fly by dropping down in line size, which I rarely do in the flood. Mostly I, since I tie my own flies, I crank up the weight. So it gets that stuff to the bottom and those fish, they're going to be right on the bottom, like in that crawling water. Like you'll see your flies bumping, mm. you know, just bouncing, bouncing. You'll see your indicator bouncing, you know, all the way down and you'll, you'll catch a lot of sticks. You know, you'll be pulling sticks out and you'll think you'll spook the fish, but there's tons of stuff moving in the water, you know, right. so just keep, keep fish in the same spot, you know, where in the summertime, maybe you try three or four times behind a rock, you know? Yeah. Do it 10 to 15, really. Because they're, you know, with the water being cold, um, with everything in the water, their senses are 
all over the place and dulled at the same time. You know, they, there's tons of stuff in the water, so you want to get that fly right in front of their face. So it's some some of those holes it'll take, you know, 15, even 20 casts just to maybe land a fish. So just being patient and persistent is the key to high water for sure. Nice. And if anyone just heard that incoming message, that little chime, I don't know if you guys heard it. Um, but if you did, it was a message from Jimmy Kimmel, again, apologizing that he couldn't make it. So just glad you're here, Taylor. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm glad I could stand in. You know, I remember we were fishing and, you know, most people are bringing some really lightweight stuff. And I'm hearing words from you like triple surgeons knot. And, you know, I watch you when people show up, they're pulling out some, you know, maybe some really small white fish. And you've got an eight weight rod and a bicycle chain for your line. And you're pulling out giant, I mean, you're pulling out dolphins. And porpoises. Yeah. And we're all pulling out minnows. So I I mean I'm exaggerating, but not really. I mean, how when did your mentality change to go big or go home all the time versus every now and then? Or did you just were you born with a six weight rod in your hand? I mean, what what's the evolution of your mentality? I mean, you know, just like everyone else you know you you start looking at stuff you know you have no idea where you're going like when i first started fly fishing you know it's it's a big it's a big thing you know <laughs> like there's no thing like hey start here just get your six weight and you'll be fine you know there's all, all the knots everything like that so i really i mean i built up to this 11 foot rod i i started on a actually started on a five weight in the river, you know, just like, you know, everyone else that right. you know, that's a pretty common rod out in the river. Yeah. And, you know, and I just kept, I was catching fish. I was catching, you know, nice ones, you know, but then I, I'd, I'd hook that the, the day maker, you know, and I'm like, okay, like, here we go. And then you'd fight them for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, you know, sometimes depending on where you were at the conditions, you know, um, and then you end up, you know, you just end up not being able to play that fish, you know, like he's playing you, you're in his world. And I was like, you know, I wonder, I wonder if they're that sensitive to, you know, me having six or five X on with my nymphs. Can they really see it that good? You know, so I started going up in line sizes and I was still catching all the little fish, medium fish, you know, and I was like, okay, like they don't seem to care you know but on top of that i learned i was like oh obviously my line's not sinking as fast now so i have to either cast further upstream and get those long um drifts yeah or i have to add weight to my flies and back then i was absolutely horrid at fly tying so that wasn't a you know i had no idea the difference between brass and tungsten like <laughs> why you would switch and spend more money <laughs> right you know so um I was doing long casts, like I was just trying to do really long casts, but straight up in front of me and get it get it to land perfect. 
in a seam and drift all the way down. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know, like this is kind of hard. Like this little nine foot five weight, like I'm, I'm, I had to do these really long casts to get these nice long drifts to where my flies are getting in the zone. So I was like, what if I just got a bigger, longer rod? Like, what do they got for those? Like, what do they even call those? <laughs> you know? Right. So, yeah. yeah. So I started looking, I'm like, do they make like a 10, an 11, a 12, a, you know, a 17 foot rod? Like what, what's going on? So I, you know, delved into that world and I was like, oh, like a switch. And I was like, oh, geez, they use these for salmon. I was like, oh, that's, we don't have any salmon here. <laughs> you know? So I was like, eh, you know, I, I found a, what, MHX, MHX blank, pretty uh-huh. cheap. Um, I was like, yeah, I'll try it out, you know, so bought the blank, you know, me and my dad built the rod together and I started, pl- you know, farting around with it and I was like, man, this thing is a beast to cast, you know, and your arm's like dead. Yeah. You know, when you're used to that five weight and you pick up a, a 11 foot six, you're, you're casting, you're like, oh, geez, this is not efficient, but... I learned that I was obviously casting it like a five weight. That's why my arm was killing me at the end of the day, you know? And, and yeah, and this is another reason that we uh, have coined you and labeled you the prodigy because you didn't, you didn't go on the search to go find that rod in a retail environment. You, you just basically went, Oh, I'm going to make this. Oh, like, cause that's what every fly fisherman does. It's just, I'm going to buy some rod blanks some rod guides and some tape and glue and just build my own rod. You get what I'm saying? That, yeah. It's, 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 it's next level. It's next. You can catch my sarcasm here. It's next level, you know, it, but that's great because it's like you basically, you, you, you discovered and utilized an existing technique that isn't commonly utilized in our waters. So it's like a, it's like a rediscovery, you know, it's, it's a, how, how, how would you put it? It's like you discovered something that it's already out there, but you applied it to this environment when no one else was really doing it. Um, and that's pretty cool. And I, I mean, I learned from that. Ben learned from that. And a lot of people I think have, well, the ones with open minds have picked up on it and I've understood. I mean, I've been in situations with you and luckily we're still friends. Like after that one incident on the <laughs> Wells bridge where you, Jeez. you, you hooked into that big, big Brown and, um, I came over to assist you in the netting of it and it, it, it just, everything went wrong. You know, and that thing wrapped around my legs. You lost, well, I lost that one for you, but we saw it. So it counted, you know, and then yeah. you, then, I mean, within five minutes, and I think the conversation went, you hooked into a fish probably bigger than that one. And that one that we missed the netting on wasn't small. That was, that had to be it, at minimum was a six pound brown, which is a nice river fish. And, with your six weight, it, 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 it broke you off. And it's like, yeah. and that was with the six weight. So I remember I saw a full arc in that, that 11 foot six weight rod. And it's just, you're just sitting there. And it was in that big, deep hole. Yeah. And then boom, it came off. And then that was like the 100% clear picture of like, oh, wow. Like, why would I not be using at least what he's got, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and it's, you know, it's not even just for the big fish, you know, like you have, you know, middle of summer, right. You know, we, we've talked about it, you know, in conversations we've had, yeah. um, 
but you know the fish are stressed out with the water temps lack of oxygen um i mean yeah it's not as fun if you want to call playing the fish more fun you know but when you catch those little guys and you're able to just rip them out put them in your net the hooks falls out in the net and dump them back in it's a lot less stress for the fish on top of it sure you know sure absolutely so and then then your reach on the river too you're able to to reach almost all sections i've seen you on some pretty big sections of the river especially as you head east that river widens up and you get much deeper pockets foot access is difficult where sometimes you're limited to one shoreline you'll have to fish most cases well it alternates but you're either on the southern side or the northern side of the river because you can't access the other side just because of the way the flows and the currents are it digs that trench on the other side that you know six seven eight feet deep you're not standing in that but otherwise you can't reach it and number two is the bums so either it's a deep trench or bum avoidance (laughs) you know but 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 you can you can cover all lanes I thought that was pretty cool, you know, witnessing that, you know, covering all lanes, whether it was indicator or drifting or whatever. Yeah, and and, and with that, you know, like, that's something I, I found. I was just trying to be able to land these bigger fish a lot easier, you know. But I started playing with it, and I'm like, oh, shoot, like, I can't. I've never fished this side of the river across from me, but with this 11-footer, my bending is a lot more flawless. It's a lot easier. It's a lot less stress on me. And I can do a perfect drift across the river in most sections in the Truckee, you know, without walking. And that just increases your efficiency, you know, without right. having to fish two sides, you're fishing one side, but hitting both. Right. You know, right. You know, we, we like the way you're always up for adventure. And I, I remember a very special memory, a true YOLO memory, the maiden voyage of the Bearfish Alliance flycraft. And Nico and I were talking, and we were saying, we didn't even have to say it. Taylor the Prodigy Broom is on that maiden voyage. And it was, let's just say, exciting, to say the least. An uncharted area. Can you tell us a little bit about your perspective of that trip? Well, on that trip, I think you were the prodigy on that one, Ben, if I remember correctly. I because don't... you were the only one that hooked into something pretty big on that boat ride. That was a two-pronged trip. You're right, Taylor. Because yeah. remember, not only was the maiden voyage, but remember we also we went way ahead of ourselves, all of us going, oh, yeah, it's a maiden voyage of a boat. We have no clue how it's going to feel um, or operate. Um, but we're also, hey, let's see if we can find any river-running Lahontan cutthroats coming out of Pyramid. Uh and uh, maybe you can give some insight on that, Taylor. What, what you witnessed that day when we pulled into that pool section, I, I mean, the more I think about it, the more I'm convinced that that was not a brown. Uh, that was not a carp at all. No way. Wrong water. Uh, well, not wrong water, but just where it, everything, it, it didn't read carp, didn't read brown. Tell us no, about it, Taylor. What, what would you see? What did you see? What would, what did you witness? I mean... I mean, I feel like we're talking about a Sasquatch sighting over here now. Slightly. But, you know, Nico's rowing the boat like a god, you know, just cruising down the river. That's because um, it was a still section. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shh. No. Uh, you know, and Ben's just, you know, Ben and me are staring at bobbers, chucking bobbers around, you know, and 
And I look over, and Ben is just bent over hard. And I'm like, what is going on over there? Uh-huh. And Ben's like, I think I have a fish. And I'm like, Ben, I know you have a fish. That that rod is wanting to go off the boat right now. Yep. Because what were you running, Ben? I was... I think I had one of your... Let's see. I think I had one of your uh, crayfish on that. Yeah, and then you were... Were you using a six-weight or... I believe it was the five weight. It was the five weight. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that rod was just down hard because I think you just cast it too. So it it hit it really quick. I mean, I make those crayfish really heavy, but that fish hit it well before it even got to the bottom because that was a super deep hole. Yeah, because I started to back row immediately because, you know, you you, Taylor picked it up before I did. And I turned around because Ben's behind me. He's behind the rower seat, and I started backpedaling, or you know, back rowing. And um, I mean, it was a short time. It felt like what 20, 25 seconds of like, like whoa, what's going on? Uh, back row hard, 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 and then, uh, and then it, I, I saw the movement, and I'm like, oh boy, and then, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just too much. It was too much, and we're just like, wow. Yeah, because you were making it up river too, and that fish was still mm-hmm. bringing Ben up. And yep. what did it spit the fly, or did it? It took the whole fly, didn't it, Ben? Or what ended up? Yeah, it did. It, yeah, I was thing. broken off. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that right there, I was just like, you know, I almost wonder if, you know, we were joking about a long cutthroat river run deal, you right. know? <laughs> And I was like, that make you know, a Lahontan's going to do that to a, a smaller tippet for sure, especially I can imagine in the river. I, I've never caught one in the river, but I can imagine those teeth, depending on the size, are a whole new ball game. Well, it makes complete sense because, I mean, when you, when you catch a, an LCT, like say out of Pyramid, you know, if you don't, if you don't, if, if you got a big one on and you don't Orlando Wilson that fish, you know, those things have a, a huge, <laughs> they have a huge, you know, bone structure in that mouth. They got big teeth. And a lot of those guys, when they close their mouth, they still have gaps on the side. You know, so I, it feels like it, it was just maybe it's like you didn't get through the bone or, or I, I you know, I'm not even going to say that. It was just too much. It was just yeah. too much. And, and thinking of that fish, even in that slight current, even if that was like a, you know, a high 20, like a 29, 30, 31 inch fish that puts anywhere between the 11 and 16 pound range for an LCT, you know, and working with the current, especially that subcurrent oh, yeah. we were at. I mean, that fish didn't have to do much to break you off. And if I remember right, I think you were running because on your rod, we're running just a no more than a three X tip it on there. So that, that would do it. That yeah. would do it. And know? for a lot of people, that's like, pretty heavy for the truckie <laughs> yeah that is pretty it's pretty heavy no totally and well we were in some serious backcountry. we were in that what we rough. call that outback part of the truckie and um <sighs> yeah you know i remember rough. the sun setting i think uh <laughs> i probably imagined seeing a couple fireflies yeah we ended up finishing that trip up at about what 11 30 yeah i think by the time we 
yeah, yeah. Certain certain portions of that trip we can't discuss publicly, um, but uh, <laughs> for the reasons of waterway restrictions on, well, well, we'll just leave it at that. But it was all accidental. But yeah, we we uh, witnessed the sunset before our halfway point, so that was fun. Luckily, we had a headlamp. And luckily, we had the prodigy on the bow of the boat. <laughs> but you know, but hey, tell us. Remember, we got down by. We were getting close to um, approaching the overpass, the eighty uh, over by Wadsworth. Um, and we we're in that riffled water. I remember the sun kind of just went down. You had your light on the water. What did you witness? Because you you about jumped out of your seat. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, the sun was just setting, and and we came cruising down that. Uh, dropping down from that slow run yeah. into some riffles and there was something really big in about maybe a foot and a half of water with his fins sticking out of the water mm-hmm. and we spooked we spooked it bad and it was yeah. it, i'd i'd say at least you know 12 12 pounds at least you look to be at least you know 25 inches to 30 yeah you know, good size fish and i was like wow like it almost made me think, you know, LCT, but you know, yeah. big brown, because that was the time of year they were running up in that, that that area, you know. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's true. And we had we had a couple, um, we had it, we had a shuttle, a couple sections, at least one or one or two sections. That was an interesting trip. We we definitely acquired, I wouldn't say battle damage, but <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> we can't. There was there was knowledge to be gained, but no, it all it all went well. But that was that was that was quite the voyage, quite the voyage, and the exit, quite the maiden voyage. Yes, <laughs> yes. The, the exit was something else. I mean that. Long story short, maybe I, you know I want Ben to give the description of the approach of the uh, as the pitch darkness, and we just hear what did we hear? We we heard a roar, and we saw a glistening of the, the white water in front of us, Ben, and. Take it from here, because I like to hear your description uh, of this, because it was something else. It wasn't our first sound of water falling, let's say. I, I know if you guys remember, we first got in, and we went through a chute that took us directly into a bridge piling. Yeah. And we got to test that fly craft to its fullest ability. We yep. did a direct hit. Of course, yep. we all survived. Uh, the prodigy was on, so we That's had the here. confidence. That's the only reason. But, <laughs> and then we shot through that second thick brush. It was the... Uh, Entrance to Jumanji, yeah. <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean on steroids. Pirates of the Caribbean meets Charlie and the Chocolate Factory fast boat scene. So... Basically, at the very end, yeah, it got dark pretty much hours, hours before. And then we just heard loud, loud, rushing, (laughs) falling water. And that's pretty much when we just all made a real hard turn. It was unspoken. It's time to get out. It's exit time. So we just hit the side shore. We grabbed the front. It's it's all a little fuzzy. Um, but all I remember is Taylor and I pulling that flycraft right out of there. There was a current. Part of the boat was 
was slightly in there, but we got that thing pretty far up the side of the bank, all the way to flat ground. And I don't even know how we did it. Yeah, that was definitely like a 20, adrenaline. Twenty foot, forty five degree angle, loose sand and stone bank. Like there was the footing was garbage. I had to run to the top with the front rope just to make sure, <laughs> just in case anything let go, I can hold on to the boat. You know, and you guys are sitting there struggling, and um, and we did pay our dues to the river god. He yes, claim, he claimed one cataract, um, counterbalanced ore, so uh, which is an equivalent to about three hundred dollars. Anyway, <laughs> you know the, the the river gives and the river takes. I remember finding a wooden ore and I sanded it down and stained it and uh, made it into art. And I think the price we paid was a flycraft ore for that. Yeah. Yeah, no <laughs> <big deal. laughs> better better an ore than our lives. That's what exactly. I always say. Exactly. Oh, shoot. You know what? I forgot to talk about the flies for the high water even. <laughs> oh, well, just give us a quick rundown on that. Yeah. yeah so what, what, are your, what, what are your favorites and what are your preferences? Um, stones, for sure. Uh, big, nasty stones, you know, size... I'd say four to eight going the smallest. Um, you want those as your point fly, you know, your, your very bottom fly. If you got, if you're running two, um, and honestly squirmies, man, like if you're nymphing, of course, you know, squirmies all day. And in layman's term, in in layman's terms, what's a squirmy? The squirmy wormy. It's a pretty, it's a legendary um, fly that makes dry flyers and streamer chuckers cringe. Both they can both agree. It's just it's an abomination when it comes to fly fishing. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it works. You know, yeah. if you're if you're nymphing, and then of course, you know, you got your your big mondo streamers. You know, uh, yeah. any you know you're, you want to focus on like black black. Uh, Black, maybe an orange bead. You want to have those two-tone um, streamers, you know, if you're nymph, you know, doing a, I guess, a floating line streamer fishing yeah. with a weighted, you know, you want to you want to make sure you're getting to the bottom. Uh, a sinking line, you can definitely get fish. Um, it's just going to be a lot harder to play with the different currents, you know what I mean? You got those sure. that massive flow in the center. Right. And then you got crawling water where you think the fish are. So, you know, if, it all depends on how good of a streamer fisherman you are and and knowing your line, you know, and how far it's going to sink down without getting can, you stuck on branches. Can you walk us, uh, walk us through your exact setup? Um, size, of, size of the line, distances where you taper down, how far apart, what your rig is, how far apart between each piece of the rig. Okay. So I like, uh, I like the airlock indicators. That's, you know, everyone has their own. We're not going to get an indicator fight here. Right, boys. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, What's an indicator? <laughs> bobber. What, what have you? Um, so I, I usually run like a, a, uh, airlock you know the nice foam yeah. ones they make those new foam ones now they're really nice mm-hmm. um and like medium 
um, just because you want it to be able to carry these heavy flies. The smalls, you can probably get away with it, but you'll be pushing it, you know. Right. Um, line size, I like to do at least a 0 or 1x starting wow. at my start. I like to still taper down a little bit because with that 11-footer, I like a really long, um, long tippet coming off of my fly line just so yeah. I can really get good men's and all that. Um, but you're mostly high sticking in the high water anyway. Sure. For sure. Um, so I usually do like a zero or one X down to a two. Um, How much line of the two, like, you know, feet wise? Yeah. So I go at least the length of my rod. So like 11 foot rod, let's say I do about three feet of, my header, you know, zero one X, something like that. Um, and then going down to two X, um, I make up the rest of the, uh, distance with that. So gosh, math time, right? No. Six. Yeah. Feet. Yeah. About six or so feet, you know, six plus. And then if, if I, if it's a little slower of a flow, I'll still go down to three X, especially if the water's clear. Right. I just have a, I'm a fan of the three X. That's just what I typically roll most yeah. of the time. Um, when it comes to my top fly, I'll usually do a small nymph, but not microscopic. So maybe like a 14, 12, maybe a 16. It all depends on the water clarity. Um, I like to keep them, you know, like a mayfly imitation, something like that up top. And then I, I do a, a heavy jig style hook fly on the bottom typically if i'm nymphing um whether that be, how far apart i'd say those you want them you actually in the high water you want them a lot closer because those those fish are hugging the bottom so typically you, you know i guess average you probably run about three feet apart um in a normal nymphing situation i like to do one and a half two feet tops in separation because those fish you know like i said they're mostly on the bottom and it's just getting that little morsel in front of their face so if they are eating the small stuff they have that option you know i, I like to give them a buffet <laughs> you know so both those flies down low and with that water clarity being down in those high water conditions you're not going to spook the fish where it's like hey why is there a crayfish and a mayfly hanging out together bouncing around you know they're not going to notice that for sure i've never notice the difference separating it or not just not catching as many fish right and those fish are looking for the opportunity to grab what food they can especially in that fast water without expending um while preserving as much energy as possible you know yeah. sitting sitting in that slowest water as possible for so when something big and i mean any type of food source passes by they're going to reach out and try to give it a they'll, they'll give it a go i think i think i've noticed a lot more flexibility in high water you know, you don't have to be as exact or as perfect, you know, so I dig it. And I, and yeah. I kind of want, I kind of wanted to, that, that kind of rolls us. We were talking a little bit about indicators. I know kind of transition from, from the Truckee over to, uh, over to the big pond, uh, Pyramid Lake. I know you've had some really, really good experience over there. Um, and a lot of, a lot of quality fish. Um, what, what's your what's what's your approach there i know there's there's so many 
there's so many ways to go at it. You have indicator diehards. You have guys that love to strip. You have guys that are a fan of the beach, guys that are a fan of the rocks. Um, maybe you can kind of give the nickel tour to somebody that's maybe not so proficient at Pyramid or is looking to go out there or maybe he's had, you know, a tough go. You know, what would be some pointers and some of the successes that you found, you know, you know how, how would you set somebody off? on pyramid what's your recommendations there yeah i mean if you're struggling with pyramid um i would for sure try it all you know what i mean keep switching those methods around you want to have a sinking and a floating line minimum because there's days the strip bites off the charts there's days midges are off the charts and there's days you know uh old-fashioned stripping is or uh you know of course your legendary leeches of the pyramid lake you know Right. Those are off the charts, you know. Right. Um, you want to be flexible. You want to adapt, you know. Like, you'll see guys, they'll just sit there and they'll chuck the same spoon because they said, well, four months ago I caught a 15-pounder on this frog pattern spoon. Yeah, it sounds well, like me. Same thing yeah. <laughs> all the time. Pretty boring like that. This one worked. It'll work again. Yeah. And, it, I mean, it's if you can, have two rods set up, one sinking line, one floating. You know, not everybody has that, but that way it's not so much you making the fish bite your stuff. It's more keeping yourself in the water because some of those days you're just, you'll see, you'll see a lot of guys, if you're on a beach, like let's say Pelican, you'll see a lot of guys dip out around 10 o'clock and then they just watch you fish. So you're fishing for them. So they know when to come in and, you know, and notice that, yeah, yeah. So definitely bring, you know, at least minimum two different spool reels, um, but keep yourself in the water. That's the biggest thing because you'll miss that, that once in a lifetime fish. If you're not in the water, if you're taking a break, you know, like just sitting on shore, watching somebody else, if you're not in the water, you're not going to catch fish. If you're getting bored of the endo, grab that sinking line, change it up, start, start chucking that, you know, um, you know, switch your leech up top, midge on the bottom, vice versa, double midge, double leech, you know, popcorn you, beetles. Yeah. And do, do you find like certain times of year, let's say like, let's talk, we've already passed it by, but just, just for listeners sake, so early season, let's talk like October, November, rolling into December. Um, well, what's a favorite rig of yours out there? Or what have you noticed has been successful? Kind of like, what's your go-to in the early season? Uh, go-to is finding the deepest possible drop off I can. Mm-hmm. and it used to be just stripping um and yeah. you want to get those you want to focus on those olive colors olive and white um because you got those those chewy to each of uh pulling up pretty good so those lct are really focused on the twoies um during that time more natural presentations i guess um but as of late i've been kind of favoring um in the early season just making extremely long rigs, finding those deep drop-off points, you know, I mean, sometimes 13 to 15 feet deep. Yeah. Um, and throwing an endo in, because from shore, the early season's pretty slow. Yeah. But I will say I've caught all of my biggest fish early season, like November-ish, um, just on, like, olive-type leeches, you know. I, I yeah. got, like, a squirrel tail leech. And I actually designed it for the truckie. I forgot all my pyramid stuff one day. <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, I'll try this. 
and I ended up catching like a 12 pounder and I was like, Oh man, I guess I found a pattern that works in both. Right. So, you know, nice. <laughs> so yeah, nice. just don't be afraid of changing it up, but, but yeah, definitely that, uh, that early season, the olive seems to be king. Um, sure midges, maybe a hair, but I mean, you got all those to each other. So match the hatch, I guess with the early season. Right. Um, as you progress, um, it definitely seems like they go to black. Black leeches pretty hard, like December into January. I mean, like some days, like that's all I see people catch them on are like black leeches, black and purple uh, woolly buggers if you're stripping, you know. Um, yep. Just those dark colors. Um, and then if you get those those warm midday uh, times, I definitely switch up to at least have at least one midge as up top you know i right. always run at least one midge one leech if i'm into uh indicator fishing you know because again i'm all about giving giving the fish the buffet you know right totally and I, i've noticed that transition that it's been from uh the midge up top to um you know in, in my case like a darker uh kiwi pattern aka the big larry AKA the big Lonnie, anything from a size six, size 10 black tail, you know, purple body, midnight fire body that works well. And then any, any combination of midge on the top, but now I've, I've noticed the progression, uh, midday, midday choppy water, uh, green's been working green. Um, what you might call it. We call it the Terry Benedict. It's just, it's a green, <laughs> it's a green balance leech, you know, so it looks like a two each up, you know, if it's super bright, you can get into chartreuse. Um, but now they, they've, uh, they're progressing into, uh, you get closer to spring and they start really dialing in on, on midges. Kind of like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like fishing the truckie a little bit, throwing midges. Yeah. You're going back into that matching the hatch for sure. Yeah. In a way, but you know. I don't see chartreuse chrominids, but for some reason, of course, the LCT have <laughs> they, had, yeah. they have a curious palate, I guess you'd call it. Is that a prodigy secret? A chartreuse, a chartreuse midge? You know, I've had good days on them. It's I've thrown different, you know, all you know your winos and stuff, and then I had some crappy looking chartreuse midge chilling, and you know, just having those different colors and changing it up. And maybe you could describe a wino, because I remember the first time I heard the term, I'm using an albino wino, I'm like, how is that possible? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, just a white bead and purple body, wine color, purple, something like that, you know, your yeah. albino wino, for sure. Um, yeah, it seems like they're going real hard on midges right now, though. They are. Yeah. And then... uh strip bite early season and even even december the popcorn beetle the popcorn beetle has just been you know or booby you, you want to do a booby too you know people are like oh booby beetle booby and beetle fight um you know if it's right. chartreuse and white go for it especially with the spring coming that's just a solid well time-tested pattern when you're stripping. you know you've mentioned a few words that brought some other things i think of to mind fly fishing specifically wino boobies fights 
that reminds me of a lot of times I'll be honest, you know, I'm married. I got the kids. I, I try to listen to my, my sketcherama meter, my senses. And I'll say, you know what? I see a few tents down there. You know, I, I, I hear a bow whip crack down there. I, I think I'm going to just play it, play it cool and maybe not cross the river here. But you, Taylor, the prodigy broom, you seem to not be in tune to any of that or care. And I, I just want to tell the listeners, you know, there's one time I was talking to Taylor on the phone and I hear this commotion in the back. And I hear this, you crossed over to my side, just back up. You crossed to my side, and that commotion just stopped. And I said, Taylor, what was that noise? Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so, I mean, I was I was farting around Idlewild, man, and, you know, just minding my own business, and I, I start hearing all this yelling, and... You know, the, I got the current right there. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm in the zone, you know. And I look up, and there's this guy staring at me. And it was some, some homeless guy sitting over there on the rocks. He's like, hey, you need to get out of here. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, this is my – I mean, I fished all downtown, you know. I call it the ghetto down there, ghetto fishing. Right. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is the first time I actually had somebody, like, trying to start stuff. And I'm like, okay, what's this guy – you know, I don't know if he's on drugs, whatever, you know, and I'm just like, okay, dude, like, I'm going to keep fishing. You're not going to boss me out of here. So, you know, just sit on your rock or go somewhere else. I'm not hurting anybody, not bugging you. And next thing you know, man, this guy's chucking big, probably five pound rocks at me, you know, splashing right next to me. And, you know, I, of course, I got heated at that point. I'm like, if you got a problem, why don't you come over here and let's solve it? <laughs> oh, and, I didn't hear that part of it. Oh. Yeah. I didn't hear the invitation part. Yeah, I definitely invited him over. And uh, and he, he started coming over. Um, <laughs> and I was like, okay, here we go. You know, So I made sure I put my rod down somewhere safe. I don't want to break that. No, of course um, not. So I start kind of walking up over there. But sadly, I, I noticed some poor fisherman that had no idea what was happening. He just parked his car and he was coming down to fish. You know, he's all happy. And next thing you know, before I could get up the hill to where this guy was going to meet me, I guess, I hear him yelling at this guy. You know, and I hear this dude like, I don't even know who you are, man. You know, like he, he doesn't even know what's happening. You know, so I go back him up and. I tell the guy, you know, get lost, you know, or the cops are going to show up. And then he just kept hanging around, yelling at other people, man. He was just off his rocker. And then, of course, you called, and then he came back. And that's where you got involved in the phone call. I think if I knew the beginning of the story, I, I might not have brought it up. But for those of you <laughs> who don't know the prodigy, he's large in stature and confident. Oh, <laughs> No, yeah. I just don't like rocks thrown at me when I'm fishing. <laughs> it's almost like every time you go fly fishing on the Truckee, it's like watching Roadhouse. And you're kind of <laughs> like the Dalton. You're like the Dalton oh. of the Truckee River. You're going to clean the place up. Oh, you're going to cool you're going to cool everything off. <laughs> no, but I mean for real though, like a lot of these guys, 
I actually just spark up conversations with a lot of these guys on the river. They're pretty nice people, you know. Yeah, they, they really I mean, are in general. Yeah, I mean, I've fished downtown, all that, you know, in the middle of those homeless encampments along the river. Most guys are just asking how your day is going, you know. I mean, yeah, they're throwing garbage everywhere, which is, of course, terrible. But, you know, I just fill up my net every once in a while when I'm walking through, you know. Don't know what to do personally, but we got to do something, I guess. But but they are good people, you know. They strike up conversations. I think I even gave one a, a little rainbow one time because he asked for it. But <laughs> Yeah, that's great. I'm sure everyone's been asked for a fish that's fished the Truckee at least a full year, you know. Yeah, that's just a true story. Yeah. True story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking, speaking of, of, of feeding the local indigenous population, uh, how, does, how does Taylor fuel his quests? How does Taylor feed the fire? How does he prepare himself to be the righteous and sole defender of the Truckee? What is your go-to burrito, Taylor? You know, this is going to be the worst answer. There's no, no, there's no, there's no worst answer coming out of your mouth. That this is silly talk. Just lay it on us. Lay now, on if us. you do tell us it's at a gas station in Idaho, we will be surprised. I have to say that, but we, keep we might going. fall over. Well, I will say it's probably a Maverick be- breakfast burrito because they're open early, and I get out on the water sooner. <laughs> Which, and I usually which, don't eat the rest of the day while I'm fishing. So, so, so you are you are the Dalton of the river. I mean, that's a brave. Ooh, that's a brave endeavor. It, it's a safe. It's a safe. It's one of the safer uh, gas station choices. But which burrito specifically? Our listeners want to know. You they they want to be like the prodigy. They want to eat what the prodigy eats. They want to fish like the prodigy. It's got to be the Treso, man. Of course. It's never, you know, they always have one in in the rack. It's whatever I can grab and go. There's a pattern developing here. You know, for for us mere mortals, a part of the thrill of a gas station burrito is that risk. You know, is this food poisoning review going to, is it going to be me? I'm rolling the dice here. I'm living on the edge. But with the prodigy, I'd imagine like you do with the big browns, you just command the food to behave a certain way in your body. So I guess you don't really have that risk that the rest of us do. You, you just you become the big brown on some of those days. You know? well, that's a way to put it. That's a way to put it. When, when now, most of us <laughs> go ahead, Ben. When there, what is your selection process? I mean, do they just you just say, "Hey, I'd like a breakfast burrito"? They they wrap it up and put it in your hand, or do you? How much time do you spend in that that pre-reception process? Dude, they got them all wrapped already. That's part of the glory. They're just sitting on the heat rack, and usually morning time, they just made them. You know? Yeah. Well, so you lower your risk right there because it hasn't been sitting there for you know, six hours or what have you. Well, and you see, there's a trend developing here. And of Ben, if it's noticed, this is uh, podcast number three. Uh, actually, this is the fifth podcast of season two. Three in a row. Now, two in a row. 
miraculously had the Orvada or Orvada um, shell station uh, chorizo burrito. You didn't come in with that, but you came in with a chorizo breakfast burrito. Now we're three for three. I mean, hey, chorizo's good. There it is. It's good. <laughs> that is, I mean, simply put, I mean, that's a quote from the prodigy. Chorizo is good. Dot, dot, dot. The prodigy. <laughs> it is said. It is said and it is done. <laughs> hey, so, so as we wrap this up, I want people to know, I know you're, you're keen on, on, on fly tying. Um, do you have, um, and I know you have an IG, what's your, what's your IG handle? Your Instagram. Oh yeah. Instagram. Uh, you guys can find me on my personal T man Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, I made that a long time ago. So sorry about the name, but it happens. It was the only one that wasn't taken that I kind of would remember, I guess. Um, and then B a high desert fly fishing. I do okay. a bunch of pictures on there too. Um, and I, I also have like a a group on or a VA high desert fly fishing on Facebook, but it just linked to my Instagram, so it's pretty much the same thing. How about uh, fish yeah. brain? Oh yeah, fish brain. I gosh. Is it N V T fly fish something? That's like it. That? Yep. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's what the fish brain went. I ne- I never look at my name on that one, but yeah, I post a lot of my catches on on all those, you know, and then a lot of the flies I like to use. So if you guys are wondering what's going on, you know, just look at the date I posted it, what I'm talking about, maybe might help you guys out, you know. Um, and then, yeah, if you guys, I mean, I'm always open to messages, you know, if you guys, any of your listeners are wondering where to start or whatever, you know, they've messaged me. They're free on the same day I'm free. I don't mind fishing with people, you know, and, tossing some flies shooting the shit you know no totally and, and you do have one I, I would call it your signature fly and then when the time comes on the Truckee river for the to get into the stone fly fly fishing um we have dubbed your stone fly the prodigal stone and it's 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 quite unique it's 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 highly effective all sections of the river even other rivers we've taken it um, well, let's just say to the river that which will not be named to the south of us that flows out of Bridgeport Reservoir. It works exceptionally well there. Um, works well in the Truckee um, and other places. But yeah, that, that's one. If I said you had to get any fly from, from Taylor, the prodigal stone is something special. You know, and I just want to add, I, I do really appreciate, I know our listeners do, you have uh, a stewardship that when you fish, like you said, we notice, you you pick up trash in your net. You you make the place better than when you got there. So, And uh, you are also, like you said, very good about getting people out in the water. They reach out to you, you give them advice, you're free with your advice. And you're improving lives. So keep up the good work. It's an inspiration. And just so everybody knows and is clear, Taylor the Prodigy Brune is called the Prodigy 
because he gets fish. He gets the big ones. And you know what? It is a beautiful sight to see all the time. All the time. It's ridiculous. It's fascinating. It's frustrating if you're on the other end of it, but it's also a beautiful sight. So (laughs) it really is. (laughs) He's humble. He's humble. So, well, thank you, Taylor, for joining us. We've enjoyed this podcast. We enjoyed getting back together again and kind of hearing what you've been up to and that the fact that you can divulge, you know, some of your, your tricks of the trade, so to speak. Um, Very helpful. Um, You know, and you, you speak everyone's language, you know, you make it, you make it simple for everybody. So that, that's appreciated too. And like Ben said, your stewardship is, is second to none. You're always willing to help. So we appreciate that. And, and, uh, again, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you guys for having me on Ben. I miss you. You're way down. You're too far South for me, but I really miss you. Nico, I get to see you most of the time at least. So yeah, you know. You. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me on. I really do appreciate you guys giving me this opportunity. No problem. And again, thanks for joining us. And until next time, tight lines. <laughs>